ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌಪುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂ ಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವತೀತಮಸ್ತಮಾವಿರ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಓಂ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 ಎನಿ ಕ್ವಶನ್ಸ್ Sanita, you had a question. I've got it written already. Uh, if I tell you what the question is, you can confirm if it's right or not. Yeah. You asked me, what does the term, may his soul rest in peace mean? Is that correct? Was there, is that the question correct? Yes. Okay. Does everyone understand the question? We use this term, May his soul rest in peace when someone passes away. So what does exactly does that mean? Any ideas? What does it mean? We all use the term or think it. What, so what does it mean? We say Atman, but Atman is not there. But everybody thinks he's Atman. Mm. Any other ideas? So that this life was the one that where the uh, had no more desires at the end, was it? Can you repeat that? Sorry. So there was no more, more desires to fulfill. So okay. That's it. Any other? Well, from coming to the classes, that's probably what I thought as well, that may all his desires be accomplished in this life and his soul is in peace as in he doesn't have to take another but we both okay so I came across this answer uh, Swami Ramatita is a self-realized soul um, he gave a he, he traveled the USA in the early 1900s and he used to give lectures in US to mainly Christian audiences And in 1903, he gave a lecture in San Francisco, and someone asked the same question. Was it, that wasn't you, was it? No. <laughs> Past life. <laughs> so, the question we're really asking is, what does soul mean, isn't it? If we know what the meaning of soul means, then we have the answer, really, isn't it? So, what's a human made of? What did we say a human is made up of? Mind, body, and intellect. And self. So when a person dies, what actually dies? What does he leave behind? Body. body. So the gross body dies, correct? This is what you leave behind. So what goes to the next life? Atman. Atman doesn't go to the next life. The soul, but what is the soul? This is what we're trying to uh, work spirit. out. The spirit. spirit doesn't go anywhere. It's the mind and intellect that goes. Mind and intellect. See, Atman, Brahman is all-pervading. It's everywhere, so that doesn't move. That doesn't have a birth and a death. Mm. No birth, death, doesn't move. The only thing that moves is your mind and intellect, which we call the subtle body. Gross body is the physical body, 
in Vedantic terms, the subtle body is the mind and intellect. The mind and intellect where you have your desires, your emotions, your passions, your feelings, your thoughts, basically your personality. That is your subtle intellect. So that is what actually goes to the next body. So when you say, may his soul rest in peace, what you're actually saying is, let his next life be a peaceful one. How do you get peace? How do you get peace? No desires. No desires. If you have no desires, you don't have a next life. <laughs> you get peace by being spiritual, by identifying with the self. Yeah. But then what about the time when it says this person is brain dead? When, when, they're, when they're still alive and they're brain When they're in a coma, for example, or when you're... Yeah, yeah. So then how can they be brain dead mm -hmm. and yet still alive? Has that, does that mean that the, the brain's moved on? Or the mind and the intellect's moved on? We, we don't really know because... It, brain dead could have many different terminologies and it's difficult for us to go into what scientifically it, it represents. Yeah? So we can't really answer that question because I'm not equipped to answer that question unless we know the diagnosis of that person to a certain extent. But what we're talking is generally when someone passes away normally, we say rest in peace. We don't say that to someone who's brain dead. No, May his soul rest in right. peace. It wasn't related to that. It was related to when you said it isn't the soul, it's not the Atman, it's the, the mind and the intellect that yeah. moves on. Mm -hmm. So, but what, what happens when a person's... His physical body's still there, isn't it? Yeah. So the fact that his physical body is still there, 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 there is minimum action, but the action is still there. Mm. He's still being fed. Mm. Yeah. He may not have his mental faculties available to him in the state he's in, but he's not dead yet. So in whatever form, his subtle body is still there. It's not past yet. That's the only way I can answer it. So he's not physically dead yet. We're talking about someone who's physically dead. Can I just add to that? It's probably a bit like when we're under anesthesia. Our body is there. But we have no recollection of what's going on around us. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So for that partial moment, we can't identify with anything, but we are still physically there. Even in deep so sleep. The mind and the intellect is still there. It's just obviously... Not functioning. Not, not functioning. Yeah, which is in anaesthesia, deep sleep. Someone in a coma, for example, yeah. you know, they may come out of the coma and my intellect's available to them. So you get peace by being spiritual, by identifying with the self. So let his life be a more spiritual life, next life. When may his soul rest in peace. Let, what, we're what we're actually saying, or what person who says it doesn't actually know this, but we're, we're sort of um, discovering what it can mean. Let his next life be a more spiritual life, meaning let him have more peace and happiness in his next life. Better, good at, uh, better desires, for example. 
That's what Swami Ramatita said. And his lectures are primarily to Americans who were mainly Christians and Catholics. So his lectures were based on that. And this is a terminology from Christianity. So, another example. We've said what moves, yeah? To the next body is a subtle intellect. So another way of looking at it. Let's say you have a beautiful vase and you have some water in it. Let's say the water is colored blue. Right? One day you notice the vase has a slight crack in it. So as not to lose the water, you pour the water in a new vase. Yeah. You have no more use of the old vase because it's got a crack in it. You can't use it anymore. So what do you do? You discard it. Throw it away. <coughs> Similarly, the old body you discard and take on the new body. The color is still blue in the new vase. That's his subtle intellect. This is a very deep topic. I'm not going to go into the depth of it. But hopefully that will answer your question. So what moves when he says, may your soul rest in peace? Subtle, subtle intellect. Is that uh, reasonably clear to you? So, so this new book we're doing, Vedanta Treaties, used to look like this, and it looked like that. Yeah, this is the new version. Most of you probably not heard of this book, but Swamiji spent 20 years writing this book. So it's from his understanding of the Gita, the Upanishads, the Vedas, and his own knowledge and wisdom, he made this book. So it's easier for us to understand. Because a lot of these old scriptural books are in Sanskrit, you know, and because we don't really understand Sanskrit as well these days, it's difficult to decipher. So he, d he wrote this. This book makes spiritual knowledge much clearer to understand, which is what our problem, which, which is what the issue is, isn't it? We don't have that clarity of understanding. So this book gives us that clarity. So there's three parts to this book. First, it bring, begins with the introduction to Vedanta, talks about the purpose of life. Some of you will already be familiar with some of the ideas. You've heard it before. But hearing it again will give you a deeper understanding. For example, if I ask anybody, what, what, what are you made of? You'll say the body, mind, intellect, and the self. Does anybody understand the self? You know that you're made of that. So we can say that every Sunday, you're the self, you're the self, but it has no meaning until you actually understand it. Similarly, some of these concepts you may have heard of before, but until you actually absorb it, act upon it, they're just concepts. So we'll be going through some of these concepts again. The second portion is the practical application of this knowledge in life. And the third portion gives you the real philosophy of life, exposes the real nature of the world and points out the transcendental God and what it is. So that's what this book does, three sections. So what happens if we study this book? 
to clear most of our ignorance about life, give us a clear direction to our goal in life, and take us there. So, there are two approaches you can take whilst we study this book. You can come every Sunday, one and a half hours, listen, you'll all benefit greatly. Yeah. I assure you'll benefit greatly. Or you, you can come every week, make some notes, listen to the podcast during the week, study the points, what was discussed during the week, and have a good understanding before coming again for the next class. This will benefit you even more. Also give you a deep understanding as we go along. The choice is yours. Either way you will benefit. The more overtime you do, the more money you gain. Same concept. <laughs> yeah? But you'll benefit either way. It's a book that has changed many people's lives. I think I put a video on the WhatsApp group about that fashion designer. Is it Dongri? And she was saying how she read the book and it changed her life. She was a fashion designer for like Clinton and all famous people. There are other people I know personally who, who this book has changed their life. So it's all up to you. Now, the way we're going to take this book is I've summarized most of the topics. So instead of actually reading the book, I'll just be giving a summary and examples. You're more than welcome to read whatever we study in class and go into it more detail. So, this is, we start now. Introduction to Vedanta. Any questions before we begin? Any questions? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Any, anybody, any clarifications? Okay. So, the preface, what it's saying is, how to live life is taken for granted. People think that they know how to live life. How is it that we think we know how to live life? No one teaches us. How do we live life? How do we know what's right and wrong? Some of it's passed down through parents and the others. Who taught them? Yeah, but that's what, that's what it is. It's all been just passed down. It's knowledge that's been accumulated by them or by anyone that's obviously a bit more learned than we are, and they pass it down. Mm. Okay. But we don't really know, is it? This is what the point. We don't know how to live life. We're just going along, hopefully, hope, hoping the best will come out of it. We don't get taught at school. We'll live with our ego and arrogance. We do. What we don't realize that living life is a skill which needs to be learned and practiced, just like any other skill. Playing a piano, you have to learn how to play a piano. Driving a car, we have to take lessons. It's a skill that has to be learned. But there's no one to teach us. Vedanta teaches you this skill. That's what this knowledge is. It teaches you this skill by imparting the ancient knowledge and wisdom discovered by the old sages, 
thousands of years ago living in the Himalayas. They discovered it. And that's what's been passed down. The Vedas, Gita, that is the knowledge, ancient knowledge passed down how to live life. Arjuna didn't want to fight. This knowledge taught him how to fight and why he should fight. Correct? So all the stress and strain in the world we go through is due to the lack of this knowledge. We go for ups and downs in life, correct? Tomorrow, today we're, we're, we're feeling good. Tomorrow something happens, we're feeling bad. There's no, there's no control over it. So what this knowledge does, it acts like a buffer. When you are down, something happens to you, the knock isn't as bad because you have this knowledge. Just as when you go to the top, you understand, tomorrow can, I can go to the bottom. So it acts as buffers on either side to help you. You don't revel in that happiness, but you, when you're down, you, don't, you understand that this is temporary. So this knowledge helps you to get through life. See, I mean, at the end of the day, what will happen to you based, is based on your past actions, your karma. You can't control that, what happened, what, you, what action you put in. In your last life, you can't control now. You have to deal with it. So similarly, but what you can do is with this knowledge, it helps you to deal with that better, by, even, by understanding. So this knowledge, this technique of learning, isn't taught in any educational or religious establishments. People are happy living the same routine, mechanical life laid out by their predecessors, parents, society. We all look forward to holidays and weekends. We don't get any joy from acting, working. But what this sage is saying that you don't realize that if you cannot derive pleasure from acting, then they certainly can't from abstaining from it. Sitting at home, you're not going to enjoy life. You have to act. This book teaches you how to act and be happy at the same time. It's not the world that gives you joy and sorrow, but how, to, how you relate to it. What does that mean? The world, it's not the world that gives you joy and sorrow, but how you relate to it. It's how you contact the world. The world doesn't have a choice to do. Exactly. You're the subject, humans, you. You contact the world. The result can be happiness or unhappiness. The world is what it is. It's up to you how to contact the world. So living life is learning how to contact the world. True? And this knowledge is what teaches us how to do that. One person picks up a cigarette, gains pleasure. Another, it gives displeasure. One person wants to divorce their partner so that they can gain happiness. Another is waiting to marry the same person to gain happiness. 
person is the same. So it's how you contact. This is what we're learning. And this is the technique that has to be learned. Everyone wants peace and happiness, correct? So this is what we are learning. We call this the art of living. This Vedanta teaches you this art. It's not taught anywhere else. So there are two classes of people in the world. We that live in the West, we're dynamic, flourishing, we have everything. But we're agitated and stressed out. The second class, they reside in the East, Africa, India, in the villages. They're happy and peaceful, but they lack productivity and success. But they're happy. So we're full of action here, and we're prosperous, but we're agitated and not peaceful. In the villages, they're, they're happy, but no action. No material wealth. So what this knowledge Vedanta does, it allows you to be dynamic and have that peace and joy in anything you do. This is, the knowledge that, this is what this knowledge teaches us. So you can progress in your material life and be peaceful at the same time. Also develop on the spiritual path to reach the heights of spirituality, self-realization. So these are the three sections. First, introduces the subject. The second, the use of this knowledge in everyday life. And the third, the highest truths of life, leading one to discover the ultimate, the self. That's the preface. Any questions? Does everyone understand what this knowledge will, how, it's, how it helps us? So a question for you. This isn't in the book, by the way. What do you think is the proportion of, through this is for you, what is the proportion of human life to other animals? Com what I'm asking is, compared to humans, how many other animals are there? Fish, bacteria, all animals put together. What do you reckon? Anybody? Open it up to any, everyone. Very small proportion. Very small proportion. What do you say? I'm saying 1%. 1%. Okay. Yes. You, got, you got my... <laughs> did, I, did I send it to you? <laughs> Look, Puja. Is that, is that that? Yeah. <laughs> so the chance of being a human being is infinite. Point zero zero zero, you can go on forever. And we're all born as a human being right now. Are we lucky? So what what's the purpose? Surely it can't be just to enjoy ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Suffering. <laughs> there must be a purpose to be born human. Can't be just earn work and money, go on holidays, buy fancy things. I'm pulling the question up to you uh, for you to think. 
So we need to find out why we're, why are we born? Why have we won this lottery of life and been born as a human being? There's probably more bacteria in this room than there are human beings, just in this room. So what's the purpose? We have to find out and reach that objective. Otherwise, we're wasting this opportunity. This is what they're saying. This is what I'm saying. This isn't in the book, by the way, but just the thought that came. That's something you have to decide. What is my objective? We'll make it clear here. It's up to you. So what does Vedanta mean? Veda means knowledge. We all know, we've heard of the Vedas. That means knowledge. Anta means end. Vedanta. End of knowledge. That's what it translates as. End of knowledge meaning you have this knowledge, you find that purpose why you've been born as a human being. It tells you how to get there and what your purpose is. So if you're now questioning why am I born as a human being, this knowledge will answer that question. The Vedas answers that question. That's why it's called end of knowledge because that is the end of you. You gain that knowledge, you fulfill it, that's the end of you. Isn't it? So this knowledge allows one to uncover the self within. The self within at the moment is masked by the body, mind and intellect. Which is, which is what you're all familiar with these three equipments. People, you've been coming to this class, so now you understand the word self, Atman, as well. Outside this class, majority of people don't know what that means. They heard of the word Atman, but they don't understand that they're made up of this. The self is your true nature, the divine God principle in all. At the moment, you understand, some people are physical, they understand they're just the physical body. They give importance to their body. Some people to their emotions, they're not worried about their body. Some people to, their, to gaining knowledge. So each one of us identify with one of them, but not with the self, not with the Atman. The, one, the, 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 the principle in you that enlivens you to function, no one identifies with that. This is what we're trying to understand. What is this principle? We're discussing this because to give you some idea of the importance of gaining this knowledge. Otherwise, we'll carry on living in ignorance. There aren't many takers for this subject anymore. So the fact that you're even here to take this, you know, you, 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 out of those seven billion people, you're at very, very few people, you know, I'm honest with you. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about what the purpose in life is. We're all born with different natures and um, 
will feel that we all have a role to play. So if we're thinking about a scientific individual who has helped or enabled a community, a society to progress forward with his knowledge base that he's naturally been born with, for example, Einstein, you'd think that actually he helped human beings to become more advanced and live a better life in uh -huh. certain ways uh -huh. because of his knowledge. So um, I suppose my question is, whilst we're questioning what is my real purpose, you can also argue that actually if we've been born with certain skills and abilities, to fulfill that role to its fullest is almost a, achieving something that we've been gifted with. Mm -hmm. But that's still, we're talking about acting in the world, yeah? Einstein, his famous sentence was, what is my knowledge compared to my ignorance? So his knowledge is still pertaining to the world. We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. He's feeling, feeling his purpose in the world, yeah. in the world, but not his goal in life from the spiritual perspective. So you're saying actually do both? Do both if that's what you want to do. You're in the world, you have to act. Yeah. But as I've just mentioned, the fact that we're born, we've won the life's lottery, but to ignore that and just to live in the world to gain material happiness, what they're saying is that it won't give you that satiation, that happiness you're looking for. Until you find out who you really are, the spirit, the self, Atman, until you find that out, you will not be happy in the world. And we can see that. The richest man in the world isn't happy. True. Who's the richest man in the world? Amazon. Amazon. He, what did he just do? Why? Because <laughs> he's not happy. <laughs> yeah, after a few years, <laughs> you'll be bored of her. <laughs> so this is the point we're saying. Yeah. That having everything in the material world, you will still feel unfulfilled. Remember that spring example we talked about a few a couple of weeks ago? There will always be pressure while you're acting in the world unless you reach until you get to your true personality, which is you're the you're the Atman, the self, not this body, mind and intellect. Until you identify with this, you will always find unhappiness. Relatively. But the problem is we actually get neutralized. We get used to this unhappiness that we don't realise we're unhappy. <laughs> You know, he will mar he married marrying this new woman, and it will give him temporary happiness until he finds faults that he can't live with, and then we're back to square one. So it's all temporary. This is what they're saying. Don't be fooled. It's temporary. Maya. Yeah. So what are we chasing?
So humans are propelled by two motivations in life. What are those two motivations? Hmm? Acquisition and enjoyment. We want to acquire and enjoy. Acquire and to enjoy. We get wealth, we want to enjoy, we want to buy things with it. We get a new car, we want to drive it and enjoy it. We buy a new house, we want to live in it and enjoy it. This is our motivations. Marry a new partner, you want to enjoy the company. So as I've just mentioned, these external pursuits will not fulfill them and bring the happiness they seek. True happiness can only be obtained by discovering your true personality, the self within. So what is life? What is life? How would you describe life? How would you describe life? Full of desires. Full of desires. Stream of experiences. Stream of experiences. But in Vedanta they define it as a stream of experiences. It's scientific as well. When these experiences stop, life stops. So an experience is a unit of life made up of the subject and object, the world. When one contacts the world, subject meets object, you contact the world, there is an experience. And the flow of these experiences is life. When you die, there is no contact, hence no experience. You buy a coffee, you drink it. That's an experience. You've contacted the world, and the result is an experience. So you can say we have, you know when you say it was a nice experience, would you? The result of the contact brought you happiness. When you say it was a really bad experience, I don't want to do that again. It meant the result of the contact resulted in displeasure, no happiness. That is life. You contact the world, the result is happiness and displeasure or displeasure. That is an experience. That is a unit of life. Yeah, it is the technical term. So what's happened is the scientists concentrated on the world, the object, to make it an easier, better place. Inventions, they made the world nearly perfect for humans to live in. But humans were still unhappy and were suffering from sorrow and anxiety. You think about it, just in the last 20 years, how much technology has changed our lives? Internet, WhatsApp, email. You can order anything you want and it is delivered the next day. Correct? How much comfort? How much time we, we now save? Still we don't have time, we're still agitated. Can you say you're much happier now because of all this technology than you were before the technology? You can't say that, can you? Can you say you're much more happier now because of technology? 
So it isn't, isn't it? So the world is improving, changing. The scientists are spending time improving the world. Before you used to travel on a ship to go from A to B. And it took 30 days, I believe. Some people said that they came from Africa or India here. It took 30 days to travel on the sea. Now, nine hours were there. So the scientists have made the world a better place. But who's looking after the humans? Who's teaching the humans how to become better, how to make that contact better? No one. The world is becoming better, more efficient, but no one is conscious, no one is paying any attention to the human being itself. That's what the sages did in ancient times. They looked into the cause of this, analyzing. I mean, they didn't have computers thousands of years ago, and they're still there saying people are agitated. So the sages went and worked out why. So when we have an experience, we contact the world, they found that the human was ignored, undeveloped, to relate with the developed world. Hence the stress and strain, meaning when you contact the world, you get unhappiness. Because the world is better, but who's educating the human being? Who's educating the human beings? Teaching them how to contact the world to get happiness. You see the dilemma? They've been ignored, undeveloped, undeveloped to relate with the developed world. Anita. Has hence the stress and strain. Any questions? Does everyone understand what we're saying? We all agree the world is a better place, but why are we still agitated? Einstein made the world a better place. We're all still going to psychi psychiatric help and physiotherapy, psychi psychotherapy and so on. Why? Can I, how yeah. does um, the stream of experience work with spirituality? So for example, not we not contacting the world, but we're trying to contact with something beyond the world, even if it's for a short period of time when we're, I don't know, reading on the subject or mm. contemplating on the subject or something. Is that still classed as being an experience or is that something that is giving us a glimpse of something beyond the world or what? what? Anything in the world is an experience in the world may it be material or spiritual, because it's still in the world. Mm. You go for bhajans, you get happiness or unhappiness. Mm. They're saying nice bhajans and you think, I really enjoyed that. They're saying bhajans you don't understand, or the, the, the woman's voice is a bit croaky, you might say, you know, I didn't enjoy those bhajans. That's still an experience in the world. So we would never experience anything beyond the world until we die? See, spiritual happiness is derived from an experience contacting the spiritual side of things. But the happiness, you read the Gita in the morning, 
you feel good good about it afterwards because you've read something that enlightened you a little mm. bit, but that's still giving you happiness in the world. What you're asking is, see, the question you're asking is like the dreamer saying, you know what, I'm fed up in this dream. Um, wonder what it's like in the waking world. It's not possible for the dreamer to ask that question. Because it doesn't know about the It doesn't know about it. So you don't know about the next state. You can only become that. Just as, the wake, just as the dreamer wakes up into the waking world, you can only wake up from this world. But that's, we're now jumping to the end of the book. <laughs> you see? So all experiences are in the world, relatively. So the sages thought, why is this happening? The world is becoming better. Now there's bulls and bullocks in those days. Now they don't have to do it by hand, and they're still agitated. Why is that? Forget computers. <laughs> Guy's got a wheel now. Before he didn't have a wheel. <laughs> so they're looking at it from that perspective, yeah? <laughs> Why are they still agitated? So they went in the Himalayas, meditated, became introverted, looked within. They, they got the power to look within them, to work out how they function, who they are. And they, they, then that's why how they discovered these laws pertaining to human beings. So this knowledge is the manual of how to contact the world, how to live life. It tells you who you are. And then they gave this to the world as the Vedas. So you can develop yourself. You can deal with the world. Reach that state of perfection. In the world. In the world. Well, everyone's interested in the world. Tell, hands up here who's not interested in acquisition and enjoyment. Besides that gentleman there, everybody. Oh, hands up to you, seriously. But this is where we're at, so of course it's in the world, because all our interests are in the world. No one can think beyond the world. We're learning to do that here in the classroom. But at this moment in time, all our interests are in the world. Pooja, you're thinking, my next job. Drew, you're thinking, my next job. It's because we have no choice. Forget about choice, you do have choices. But this is where we're at at the moment. I can't leave the world. So, but, but, but you know what? The Vedas takes you out of this world as well. But the portion everybody wants to read is how I can be in the world and be happy. So let's stay, deal with that at the moment. Yeah? See, only if you have confidence that this can help me in the world, then you'll think, you know what? There's a portion on there that tells me how to get out of this world. <laughs> Let me read that now. <laughs> but until you get to that point, <laughs> you're not going to read that last portion. <laughs> Isn't it, Puja? You get married, have two kids, they've grown up, they've left. Now you think, what am I going to do in my life? Let me see what this last bit says. <laughs> huh? Until then, you're not going to read it. So the thought never crosses our mind. So, as humans, we have a choice in our action. What choice to make in life? Shall I do this? Shall I eat this? Shall I marry him or her? Where shall I go on holiday? What shall I study? What uni shall I go? What job shall I take? Shall I become a vegetarian? A vegan? Become a meat eater? Shall I lose weight? Shall I gain weight? These are all the choices that, as human beings, we have. 
So many choices, how do we make them? Animals are pre-programmed, they have no choices. They have no choice of action. Carnivore cannot turn into a vegetarian. Herbivore, a meat eater. They have to act based on their nature. A lion can't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm killing so many of these deers. Just for my stomach. This is dreadful. What am I doing? I can't do it anymore. I'll turn vegetarian. A lion can't think like that. He says a deer, kill. And you know what the funny thing is? He only kills when he's hungry. When he's not hungry, he'll just walk by them. So this knowledge helps us one to make the right choice of action. It provides a skill of how to act in your everyday life. This practical way of life satisfies one spiritually and materially, allowing one to live a prosperous life with peace of mind. So that's the first portion, it's selling you the subject, saying, look, you need this. With this, this is what you can do. He wants you to read more. You pick up the book, you read the preface, and you think, wow, I need this book. <laughs> How have I lived my life without it, this knowledge? Forget this book, this knowledge. Okay, you're still not sold. The next portion says, Vedanta is the base of religion. We're all religious here, correct? Okay. We all believe in whichever religion we believe in. Where did these religions come from? Okay. Next portion says, Vedanta is the base of religion. It's known as Sanatana Dharma, which means eternal principles. Eternal principles means this knowledge is scientific. It's meant for every human being. It exposes methodically the true knowledge of life, the meaning of life. It tells you the meaning of life. It gives you the knowledge to discover yourself, the divinity in you, regardless of you being a good or bad person. The goal of all religions is to help you discover the true self, currently covered by your material layers. We've just covered that. So what he's saying is the self is the same in all of us, no matter what color, which country we live, if we are good, bad, the self is the same. So this knowledge, helps anyone and everyone to discover their true personality. It's like comparing electricity. It's the same in all gadgets, yeah? In heater, it gives heat. In a cooler, it gives cold air. Electricity now gives car motion. Similarly, the self in different people expresses differently based on their different layers. Layers are body, mind, intellect, vastness, desires. So that's what differentiates a person, just as electricity is the same in all gadgets, but the expression is different. In a heat aid gives heat, cooler cold, cold, in a light bulb light, but electricity is the same, isn't it? Similarly, the Atman self is the same in everyone, no matter what color, creed, good, bad. 
the expression is different based on their material layers, their vasanas, desires. Does everyone have a clear understanding of this? Humanity has forgotten about the self within and the role of life is to find the self. This is what we're doing here. We're learning about that self within. So Vedanta is scientifically based knowledge. It teaches us one, the truth in a methodical, logical way. It doesn't rely on any authority or person or any religion. It belongs to everyone, has a universal application, appeals to all who want the truth. Christianity was started because of Christ. Buddhism started because of Lord Buddha. There's no one to, we can say started Vedanta. It's the truths of life. It appeals to everyone who wants the truth. It teaches you to think for yourself. Helps you to understand the human personality. Gain the truths of life. In the past, many generations put in effort to discover the self. Where did it go wrong? Because we're not doing it now. Many generations put in effort to discover the self. That's past generations. So this knowledge is passed down by guru to student. Just as I'm passing it down to you all here as students. I was passed down by my guru. He's was passed down to him by his guru. And you can take the lineage back a thousand years. So where did it go wrong? Before everybody learned this subject. Where did, where did it go wrong? It turned it into religion and put rituals in it. <laughs> Blasphemer. <laughs> absolutely right absolutely right that's where the knowledge got lost some well-meaning spiritual seeker brought out their own meager version of the truth called it religion they did not have the full knowledge he may have done it in a, for a good reason they did not have the full knowledge People began to follow this teaching blindly. Blind leading the blind. And fear. Fear. They, they, they taught with do's and don'ts. Don't question, just do as I say. So what happened was the followers lost their own capacity to think and reason. You understand? I better ask him, what shall I do? How shall I do it? We had that capacity to think, but we've now given it away to some person. Spiritual education was no longer liberal, open-minded. Led to large groups influenced by others' opinion. All religions have a group of authority which preaches how to live life, what to do, what not to do. Everyone, Christianity, Catholic, Islam, Hinduism, 
you don't do it that way, you're not doing it right. You're going to go to hell. You do it the way I tell you, you go to heaven. Am I wrong? This is how it's, well, this is what's happening, isn't it? Led by authority, superstition, strange ideas became ingrained in humans, all in the name of religion. No facts, no reasoning. You must do this in life and you'll be rewarded in heaven. What heaven? We don't even know if there is a heaven. So what this has done is actually reduce people to ignorance. And that's why a lot of unhappiness in the world and pain. People have stopped thinking. Stopped thinking for themselves. Instead they rely on others to think for them. How do we know that person is directing us in the right way? How do we know? I'm not saying he's not, but how do we know? We're only questioning what we're doing. Yeah. I'm not saying stop, but think about it. What's the difference for, okay, you're looking up to an authority. What is the <coughs> difference between that authority and yourself? He, she got the knowledge from somewhere. What's stopping you getting the knowledge? There is no difference. This is what we're saying. There is no difference. The knowledge you'll gain from Vedanta will bypass any knowledge from any authority that you're following. Trust me on that one. Okay, you'll be able to answer him rather than ask questions, seriously. People function on, because they don't, they don't know themselves why they're telling you what to do. <laughs> you ask them, they'll say, someone told me that you must do this. They don't know themselves, true. That's why we can't question them. I'm talking all faiths here. So therefore people function on blind faith and rituals. This devolves one in the spiritual path, creates caste, creeds, sects, which are detrimental to, one growth, detrimental to one's growth. So this knowledge, Vedanta helps one to free themselves from the bondage to this, from celebrities, educates one to the truth. Celebrities meaning spiritual celebrities, you know. What was once great knowledge of religion has now been turned to a simple following to a religious celebrity a do's and don'ts to religion. This stern, rigid approach to religion takes out the essence of religion. And the intelligent people, especially the youth, do not like to be told what to do. Therefore, do not follow this abnormal form of education. Okay, let me ask you a question. Which are you went to university? Yeah. You were fairly educated. Drew, you went to university, you're fairly educated, yeah? So we educate our children, correct? And if she's in higher education, all our kids. We educate them to think, and then we expect them not to think. How is that possible? <laughs> we, we tell them not to think with logic and reason, just follow. How well is it possible when it comes to religion and spiritual beliefs? Pooja, you're a mathematician. 
logic and reason. And then you're said, don't just follow this. Why? Explain to me. No, you must just do it. Is that going to work? How can it work? <laughs> you want your child to be educated to think. And then you're telling them, don't think. It's not possible. That's why the youth don't follow. Do's and don'ts are not meant for humans. Mind does not like do's and don'ts. Husband says, don't do that. You'll be saying, why not? <laughs> the mind says, I don't want to follow someone saying not to do this. One cannot be told what to do. Desires for things only increase with prevention. The minute you say, don't do that, the design could, I want to do that. <laughs> why are they saying not? Maybe I should do it. He's telling, they're telling me not to do it. I think I need to know why. Let me go and do it. <laughs> so these do's and don'ts don't work. Your mind will rebel. They're not meant for human beings. Desires for things only increase with prevention. Superstitions, beliefs, and mechanical rituals are forced upon people. This only frustrates them further because they don't understand why they're doing it. And you can't say, well, you'll benefit in heaven. We, can't even, we don't even know what heaven is and we can't think beyond that. We can't think beyond our material world, this world, waking world. How can you think of something beyond? So, we need to be taught the higher values and principles of right living in a logical, systematic way. We're living in the world right now. Let's just live properly in the world, yeah? Let's worry about heaven when the time comes. So, this knowledge can fulfill your requirements of a true seeker. Slowly but surely, a seeker on this path shall be rewarded. One needs to look at the value of religion. Look at Vedanta for its knowledge, independent of any authority, but, it, but on its own merit. So how do you do that? On its own merit, how do you do that? Look at the value of religion, and look at Vedanta for its knowledge, independent of any authority, but on its own merit. How would you do that? Question it. Question it, yeah. Try the principles laid out in your own life, on a day-to-day -day basis. If it works, follow it. If it doesn't, don't. This would make you truly religious. So people believe in religion, follow religion based on wrong criteria. Some follow religion because it is the largest. So many people are following, must be something right. Let me see, I'll follow it as well. Some follow it because the oldest religion. It's so old that we must be alright, must be good. Some are persuaded by others' views and opinions. Even the intelligent people. Just because you have money, wealth, power, doesn't mean anything in a spiritual perspective. 
Very few people get to the philosophy of the religion. Instead, there is merely a blind following based on no foundation. This approach to religion is to destroying the human race. How many deaths throughout history, how many deaths due to religion? The Christians went on their crusades in the 1300, Islam now in, um, for so many hundreds of years. There are so many wars, all because of religion. And religion is supposed to create peace and harmony. So obviously it's not doing that. <laughs> so there has to be something wrong there. So this knowledge is based on reason and logic. Hence, it needs to be studied in the same way as maths. Pujadis, you'll be perfect in this uh, subject. Same way as maths or any other scientific subject. You need to study this subject based on its own merit and teachings. Only then you'll be learning in the right spirit of religion. Examine the knowledge, analyze it, apply reason and logic, digest it. If it then makes sense, then make it your own and apply it to your life. One should not be influenced by any spiritual master's life. When you read about a spiritual master, his life should inspire to walk in the same path. That's all. You don't suddenly start bowing down to that spiritual master, doing divo and all that, and you're not living his life. His values, you need to adopt his values and live them. Otherwise, it's just a photo, nothing else. You don't see if this, the guru done it, you could do it. There's no difference between you and the guru, as we mentioned. You can obtain the same inspiration from your own self. You don't need to rely on external forces for gaining internal strength. You can get it yourself. Any questions? So this knowledge you have to, they all went to the Himalayas and learned it for our benefit. We don't need to do that. We can live it in this world now, wherever we are. So you need to apply this in everyday life of how to live life dynamically. So you might say, well, how do we know this works? So you were, you were saying about when we read about a, a spiritual master um, that teaches us, we don't have to bow down to that master. But when we're talking about faith, so for example, we read something that we've questioned and makes sense to us, and we, it, I suppose it ignites something within us to think, yeah, I want to follow these teachings or go into it more depth. There's that aspect of having faith, isn't it? So is it that I've got faith in just the knowledge that I'm gaining from that, or is it the master? Why, why do you consider him as a master? Because he's got higher knowledge than me. Exactly. So nothing's stopping you getting from that higher knowledge. He's reached that state where he's got more knowledge than you but nothing's stopping you to reach that. So you inspire that I want the same amount of knowledge as he has, because he, his life is what I want to live. live I want to live his same life as him. Yeah, but without him, I wouldn't have got to 
even wanting to or expanding or understanding. So you then bowing down to that master as a form of gratitude. That's different. Right. Gratitude. It's when you blindly follow a master without taking in the knowledge. That's what we're talking about. You don't need to bow down to a master and follow him around because he's just been, you know, without actually gaining the knowledge. You inspire to one day be like him mm. by following his path. How did he become a master? Mm. Let me see. What did he study? Which book did he study? How, well, how was his life? I want to become like him. That's different. So I'll just finish off this class by, I'll just read you. few praises of this subject just to give you I'm just trying to sell you this so that what you can come for the next classes so we can finish this book yeah <laughs> you might say you know I'm, I'm a bit dubious he's telling me not to believe anything anyone says so why should I believe him so you know you're questioning it and I admire you for that tributes to Vedanta I'm going to read this yeah Several servants and sages have paid glorious tributes to Vedanta. Some of their ob observations are quoted below. The glory of Vedanta is not dependent upon these observations. Vedanta stands on its own merits. Perhaps these quotations may enthuse those initiates who value authorities. The assurances may help them launch their study with greater interest. We all want to study harder. so. The great philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer has hurled abuses on all other philosophies, save this one. On Vedanta he says, in the whole world there is no study so beneficial, so elevating as that of the Upanishads Vedanta. It has been the solace of my life, it will be the solace of my death. Max Muller, the renowned German Orientalist, comments upon this asser assertion of Schopenhauer. If the words of such an independent philosopher require any endorsements, with my lifelong study of all the religions in the world and all the systems of philosophy in Europe, I'm ready to humbly endorse this experience of Schopenhauer. If philosophy or religion is meant to be preparation for the afterlife, a happy life and a happy death, I know of no better preparation for it than Vedanta. Paul Dusen, professor in the University of Kiel, Germany, founded the philosophy of Parmenides, Plato and Kant in a nutshell in Vedanta and advised the Indians that Vedanta in its unfalsified form, unfalsified form, is the strongest support of pure morality, is the greatest consolation on the suffering of life and death. Indians keep to it. Swami Ramatita, sorry, Indian sage Swami Vivekananda, you've all heard of Vivekananda, declares, while every other religion depended, depended on the life of some person who was its founder, Vedanta was based upon eternal principles. It was on this that it based its claims of being the universal religion. All ideals are true and the different religious systems were but special paths for the attainment of these various ideals which when intensified was certain to draw out the divinity in man. 
and the great apostle, the greatest apostle of truth, Swami Ramatita, who we just mentioned in the beginning of class, pronounces, Vedanta brings a religion which is found in the streets, which is written upon the leaves, which is murmured in the brooks, which is whispered in the winds, which is throbbing in your veins and arteries, a religion which concerns your business and bosom, a religion which you have not to practice by going to a particular church, mosque or temple, a religion which you have to practice and live in your everyday life, about your hearth, in your dining room, everywhere you will have to live that religion. And the last one, the great philosopher Schiegel says that in comparison with the Indian thought, the highest stretches of European philosophy appear like dwarfish pygmies in the presence of this grand majestic titan. In his work on Indian language, literature and philosophy, he remarks, it cannot be denied that the early Indian possessed a knowledge of the true God. All their writings are replete with sentiments and expressions, noble, clear, and severally grand. As deeply concerned and reverentially expressed as in any human language in which men have spoken of their God. And with regard specifically to the Vedanta philosophy, he says, the divine origin of man is continually circulated to stimulate his efforts to return to animate him in the struggle and incite him to consider a reunion and recorporation with divinity as the one primary object of every action and exertion. This is all Western people saying about the philosophy that has been given to us as Hindus. Any questions? Today was just an introduction to the subject to give you an idea of uh, give you an idea of what this subject how it can change your life. Yeah.